What is happening, my MCU cast friends? This is Matthew Carroll uh, from the MCU cast here, and we are um, dropping this in the feed this week. Uh, I've been meaning to drop it for a number of weeks now, uh, but this is my new podcast, the Orville Universe Podcast. Um, if you dig what I do over here and you dig this kind of sci-fi stuff, you can find it on all of your pod catchers. We're going to be breaking down every episode of The Orville, uh, the new Fox show from Seth MacFarlane and uh, John Favreau, actually. So there's that Marvel connection. Uh, I really love it. It's very Star Trek-like with jokes. Um, but it's you know it takes itself a little more seriously than you expect. Uh, it takes a few episodes to get into it. But once it kind of hits its stride, it's, got, it's a really great show. Um, so we're doing this step, this show, uh, me and Matthew Westfox from the Superhero Ethics Podcast. So if you like what I do, if you like what Matthew Westfox does over at Superhero Ethics, come check out our podcast, but I'm going to drop an episode of it here in the MCU cast feed. We're going to be dropping an episode in a few days talking about all this Spider-Man news that he is now back in the MCU. So I'm sure y'all uh, are excited to talk about that. Uh, we've gotten a lot of messages, so we're excited to talk about that. It's going to be really great, but uh, Jeff and me will be able to get together until Thursday. Uh, but until then, enjoy this episode of the Orville Universe podcast. Even if you don't know the show, this is just an episode about why we're doing the podcast, our love of sci-fi, our love of Star Trek, our love of Marvel, all these things that we love and how they feed into our love of this new show, the Orville. So if you dig this, what we do, check out this. Uh, if you don't want to hear from another podcast, just feel free to cut this off. I understand. Uh, thanks for putting it up with me, putting it in the feed. Just want to make sure you guys know about it. All right. It, with no further ado, here's the Orville Universe podcast. Today on the Orville Universe podcast, we are going to be talking about who we are. Matthew Carroll, Matthew Westfox, who are we? Why are we doing this podcast? Right after this. Hello. I just wanted to cut in before the show starts. Uh, we got to talking about the entire series and what we liked about it, which does include some spoilers. So this is your requisite spoiler warning. Hello, everyone. I am Matthew Westfox of the Superhero Ethics Podcast. With me is Matthew Carroll of the Marvel Cinematic Universe Podcast and the Star Trek Universe Podcast. And we are here today for the first full episode of the Orville Universe Podcast. And we are so excited because for both Matthew and myself, this is a show that we have been – I think, Matthew, every time you and I talk, we can't help but get get onto the topic of this of this show no matter what else we're talking about. It is very true. It's very true. And that is, in my experience, uh, pretty much why I've started podcasts in the past and this being my third kind of nerd culture podcast that I've started uh, is just a friend of mine. We can't stop talking about a thing, and we're like, we should just have these conversations in front of microphones, right? Like, let's yep. just do this. Um, I just love – I love this stuff so much. Well, yeah, and, and, and for me, it's kind of perfect because, I, I, as I've told you before, Superhero Ethics Podcast started because I was a big fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. Um, and actually, part of where it happened is my best friend Paul and I, the in initial host of Superhero Ethics, uh, we're both big po poker fans. We had one day where we were talking about uh, Civil War, the movie – after having uh, – like during a, a dinner break during poker, wound up spending about five hours not going back to the poker table, losing a whole lot of money because we didn't go play more poker <laughs> just to keep talking and decided, you know what? We should actually make this happen and make a podcast out of it. So I think it's uh, a good sort of a um, way for these things to get started. Yeah, and I, lo I love your superhero ethics podcast um, and, and, and it – 
it's why I reached out to you to start this one, because I think that the Orville particularly has so many ethical questions presented. It really is in the classic um, structure of the Star Trek uh, original series, where every episode is really trying to tackle a different moral question, but being a little more evolved in the time period, it being the, you know, the year 2019, the show is a lot more intentional about that. It may be even, you know, in some ways it more directly attacks those questions than even the original series did. Um, and I, and I'm, so I'm really excited because me coming from just a guy who loves a universe, I just love, I love an expansive universe that draws connections and has a serialized storytelling element. And you coming from a sort of ethical perspective as well, like I'm sort of a <laughs> novice when it comes to ethical questions. Yeah. <laughs> and I love, I love the discussions though and trying to, trying to come up with a framework to make these sorts of decisions. And I, I love that science fiction allows us to do that through the lens of these fantastical worlds. I think that's a great point because, um, I, I'm, I'm coming from the same perspective. I, I love the ethics discussions, but frankly, sometimes it's great just to be able to talk about that amazing thing that happened on the show we love. And, and, you know, for all of our listeners, this podcast is going to be a lot of both. Um, I think if you're a big fan of Orville, you probably love the ethical questions to some extent because that's what the Orville talks about an awful lot. But there's also just so much great humor. There's so much great character development and acting. And I think we're going to get a chance to talk to all of it. But I also really love the point you made because – and here's my little sappy story about how I got started on all of this. Um, when I was a young kid, I would watch Star Trek, the original series with my mother. And my mother was by no means a sci-fi person before Star Trek. You know, she she told stories about how in, when she was in high school in the 50s, like, you know, she knew kids in her high school who were really into science fiction, and she never thought that was for her. Until she watched the Star Trek TV show in the 60s, because what she loved about it was, was what you just said, the way it would say, let's let's create a world of people totally different than our own, but use it to hold up a mirror to a discussion about what's happening in the real world. So we can create, you know, a Star Trek, the original did create a world of people who are half white and half black in order to talk about racism or, you know, things about gods and sexism and all this kind of stuff. And we can talk for, till we're blue in the face about, you know, how well the original Star Trek did that with, uh, William Shatner's acting and the, uh, <laughs> uh cardboard sets that came up. Um, yeah. but, but I do think that that, I remember watching that with her and, 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 uh, as you mentioned, I do have a, um, an academic background in ethics and and uh, and a professional background there, and and but my love for it started with those discussions with my mother about Star Trek, where we'd watch an episode. She'd be like, "Well, what do you think? And how do you think this applies to her own world?" And and so when I first started watching Orville, I, I, and I got to admit, I was I was a latecomer to this show because. I was not someone who was a huge Seth MacFarlane humor fan. Like I, I love the movie Ted, although I feel guilty about loving it sometimes. <laughs> but, but I, but I, for the most part, like I was like, I don't want a whole TV show of that kind of, you know, bathroom frat boy sophomore humor. And someone told me, no, 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 you gotta watch the Orville. It's, it's the Star Trek show you've been wanting for a long time. Um, and, and, I remember really being blown away by how much that's exactly what Orville does, you know, from the first couple episodes where there's episodes about uh, alien species with completely different understandings of gender or worlds where everything is run by social media or, or things like that. It's just so easy to, to see the way this show is saying, hey, let's take that issue that you think about in the real world and let's change some things about it to make you think about it in a totally new way. And that I just think is such a brilliant thing and something that we can have so much fun discussing. 
And like you mentioned, you mentioned the humor. I think the show has evolved. I just rewatched the first episode in preparation for doing this podcast. And, um, it, it's very interesting how it started a joke a minute. Like the, the show yeah. was really a joke a minute. And over the two years it's been on, it has developed into, I think, a show that's more sure footed with itself. Like it doesn't, yeah. it no longer needs to be a joke a minute. And I think it knows that. We're there. The people that are watching the show are not just there for the humor. We're not just there for Seth MacFarlane. We're there because we actually are invested in these characters. Um, and I, I am, I'm super, it wasn't, it wasn't the second episode or so was when they did the Mocklin storyline. I was super impressed with the way they just tackled some issues directly, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. and I, ever since that moment, I, I've been in love with the show. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting. You told you tell your story about your mom. I had a similar experience, except my parents were not as thoughtful about <laughs> Star Trek. It was TNG for them, um, okay. and I was a, I was a kid, and I hated it. But this is yeah. where my my Star Trek and probably my nerd fandom in general comes from. Sitting down with my parents because we only had one TV, and they insisted on watching Star Trek: Next Generation, and I wanted to watch whatever. I was five, so I was probably wanting to watch cartoons or something. And they're uh-huh. watching Star Trek: The Next Generation. We only have one TV, so I sat down and watched it with them. And I remember like rebelling and being like, "No, can we watch something else?" This, <laughs> you know, and, and but some point, you know, at that age, I was five or six years old, being sat down in front of the TV and forced to watch what my parents were watching. It. um changed something changed in me that I started to love it. And I think it, I loved the character of data data and Jordy at first, like sort of just yep. like the cool guy with the visor and the robot, you know, like little five-year-old Matt fell in love with those characters. But star Trek was a huge part of my development. Um, I think about problem solving a certain way, like mm. a lot of the way that my framework of just like how I think about the world is built on star Trek. And those Federation ideals, I mean, I have a strong religious background as well, but like a lot of my ideals are Federation ideals, you know, like I really grew up on that, both morally, but also in a critical thinking perspective, like seeing a problem, seeing that third way thinking that Kirk has where you see a problem, this, you have the, the, the left brain is telling you one thing, Spock is telling you one thing, McCoy is telling you another thing, and you have to resolve those things and come up with a solution. And, yeah. and I've, I've always tackled problems that way. And it's because of Star Trek. It not only built my moral framework, but or helped build my moral framework, but it really did build my cognitive framework for how I think about the world. I, I, I lo- I'm a huge lover of Star Trek. Yeah. That, that I, I love the way of putting that, especially what you said about the third way, because it's something it's funny because my two great loves in terms of and granted when i call either of these science fiction a lot of people will roll their eyes but i would say of science fiction slash science fantasy uh my two great loves involving starships is maybe the safer way to say it um are star wars uh, star trek and star wars on that level they are fundamentally different because in star wars there is some degree of third way thinking and i i do love the ideals and i love the ethics and yeah i am a a big uh, I, I love The Last Jedi and some of the, the, the more recent movies and the idea of like pushing the idea of what it means to be a Jedi in new and different ways. But, you know, in Star Wars, you, as, as they at one point say, you solve problems by jumping in a cockpit and blowing something up. And that's fun to watch. But 
But what I love that Star Trek does in such contrast is, as you said, it's, it's a third way of thinking. And especially very often the third way of thinking is how do we solve something nonviolently? Um, Absolutely. Some of my favorite episodes are ones where either A, um, you know, Kirk or Picard or now the Orville, the same thing, they're realizing that they're up against a force where using physical violence is just not an option in the slightest because they're going to get obliterated. Or in some ways I find even better the episodes where they realize that they're the dominant one and they absolutely could just, you know, set phasers to obliterate and solve the problem immediately but they think, no, I don't want to have to solve this by physical force. I want to convince these people to do what we think we need them to do instead of forcing them by violence or something like that. Absolutely. Um, and to me, that's in the same way that I think that's such a great lesson of what does it mean to say have a situation where you could just physically get your way or you could use force or money or whatever it is. But instead, how do you convince someone else to agree with you instead of forcing them to, to, to do what you need? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and, and even when they do need to use violence, it's like, what is the point when violence is essential and what, how do you use it? And most of the time it's to, you know, defend yourself or to protect the defenseless. Right. Um, and, and that's, that's stuff the Federation does all the time. It's very, they don't use it to conquer even when they could. And, and when they do, are heroes so sometimes the federation is not the hero sometimes the federation is a bureaucracy that is is gone corrupt and it's up to kirk or picard or cisco or janeway i guess um, <laughs> <laughs> to go against the system and fight for the little guy you know and so that's actually a good question I'd ask you is we're, we're sort of using this first episode to kind of set the parameters of what we think about orville and where we want this show to go you know and, and you you do the Trek podcast, so you probably know this even better than I do, and your co-host Dave would know it even better than either of us. But I think it's it's generally understood by most Trek fans that there are kind of two different eras of Trek, uh, Roddenberry and post-Roddenberry, and that you know Roddenberry had his ideals. Uh, Gene Roddenberry, the creator of Star Trek, for those who don't know, that he really had this idea of Star Trek was set in a utopia where there wasn't any fighting within, you know, there was maybe a little bureaucratic fighting, but that everyone in Federation was fundamentally good and everyone on the Enterprise fundamentally wanted the same thing and that the conflict was going to be between those folks and the people they met. And that then after Roddenberry passed away, the shows have shifted more and become a little darker and a little grittier and a little more chance for more interpersonal conflict and for more chances of the institutions to be corrupt and stuff like that. Um, Orville, obviously, it, we're, we're talking about Trek so much because of how much Orville is like Trek. Where do you think Orville kind of – do you think Orville is kind of more of the like pre- or post-Roddenberry eras of Trek? If, if, first of all, if, if that kind of dating makes sense to you. I, I, it, well, I have, a, I have a whole lot to say about the, that, that system and – or that sort of, that sort of um, thought process. Actually, uh, I would push back because – I don't think that the Roddenberry of the '60s was that guy. Mm. Um, I think that he made a show that is, in some ways, utopia. But like, there in the in the early next the original series, there's uh, there's racism, there's sexism, and I don't just mean like stuff they didn't know about. Like, oh, well, miniskirts is fine. Like, it's whatever they wear miniskirts. Right. <laughs> no, no, like there there are crewmen. 
that are racist or sexist. There's there's a crewman who's racist against Spock in one of the first episodes. Mm, I think that's Balance true. of Terror. Like um it, it's it there's all these there's a lot of that going on and even on into the movies in the 60s like there's tons of racism in uh, Star Trek 6 is about uh, them signing the Kittimer Accord the Klingons and it's right. all about Kirk overcoming his racism. Um and the whole crew overcoming the racism and I and, and now you could say that's outside of the Federation, but even within the Federation, there's tons of stuff that goes on that is not utop that is not the utopia it is purported to be. And <clears throat> I, and actually, if um, Roddenberry changed his views a lot by the time the '80s came around and he was making Next Generation, it's actually Next Generation is actually a much more utopia. I, I keep trying to put that, make that a. Uh, Make that an adjective. Utopian. Uh, utopian. Thank you. Goodness. <laughs> yeah, I keep wanting to say utopianistic, and that's not a word. The next generation is a much more utopian society in that sense. And that he, he did, um, Roddenberry did have sort of this rule that there wasn't allowed to be fighting within the, within the Federation. Like they, right. they should all agree. They should all be so evolved that they should agree on everything. And I think that is some of the most dangerous kind of storytelling um, because you never explore the depths of the villains and you right. never understand where they're coming from. It's impossible to really confront a problem if you can't see the problem from that person's perspective. And then you, you get a little later with something like DS nine um, and DS nine is my favorite Star Trek by mm. far because it is so much about seeing it from all sides and, and the Federation is one side, the Bajorans are another, the Cardassians are another, the Dominion are, and they all have their perspectives and none of them are wrong that some of them times they do wrong, immoral things, but they're always, you know, in service of what they believe. And the only way to confront those things and to see those things fully is to see them from their perspective. And I, I just think that I think that Star Trek is a, a, a beautiful vision of the future in that we have solved a lot of the problems of today. Right. But I think if it is treated as <clears throat> if the human race is treated as saintly where they can't disagree on things and they're always correct, then what are we learning from that show? Yeah. There's no way to explore uh, the problems that, that these shows are built to explore. And so I think some of the worst Star Trek is made in the era of Roddenberry when he kind of started to believe his own utopian hype. Mm. Like there was a lot of, there was a lot written about how Star Trek was a utopia. And then in the eighties, he believed his own press to some degree. That's my, that's my, this is all my, my point of view on it. But, um, we, we talk about it a lot on the Star Trek universe podcast as well. Um, but I think that some of the best Star Trek is when, you take those utopian ideals of getting getting over things like hunger. The Federation ideal is a great ideal, but it's still something that humans should have to strive for. It's not going to be easy for them. And so you, you have to put them in situations where they're confronted with, can we live up to the Federation ideal of sacrifice and love and treating other, treating all types of people uh, and beings with respect and, uh, I, I love when Star Trek, st the, the, the characters are striving for that, 
but they're not always hitting the mark because then I feel like it's it. it what are you examining if you're never having yeah. mistakes? Oh, and, and that that helps. I think because uh, the way you, the way you phrased it, it, I think adds a lot more depth to what I was coming from in terms of that. It that the sort of what I think of as the Roddenberry era wasn't his original conception. As you spelled it out, I think you're right that it was more, as you said, it kind of. The believing the own hype, as well as I think the mythology that can happen, you know, when we talk about a show that is 30 or 40 years old at this point. Oh, for sure. And he, it was being very deified at that point. I think still is. I mean, the, the right. original series is an amazing thing he created and it did trailblaze for a lot of, in a lot of ways, but they had conflict on the ship. It's not nearly as there's, there, he really had a rule in the new era, in the next generation, that there was just no conflict. And I'm like, right. what's the storytelling then? Like, why? <laughs> I, I mean, one thing that I think about is that there isn't, um, you know, when, when you think of the original series, as you, you put it for the third way thinking of, um, you know, Kirk, that, yes. that so much of it was the, the McCoy versus Spock and Kirk being in the middle. That's right. Um, and, and all that being an homage to the Master and Commander books. And as I think about it, like data obviously is a little bit of a stand in for Spock in terms of having this very logic based approach to the world, but there isn't any sort of clear cut McCoy Spock conflict in, in Next Generation. There's not, yeah. Yeah, you know, and I think that you're right that that, that I think Next Generation is a fantastic show in a lot of ways, but that, that misses something. The, the Next Generation has a diversity of skill sets. Not a diversity of points of view. And I also really love the point you made about the, um, going back a bit, but about needing to see all those different groups from their own perspective. Um, you know, with, in DS9, with the Cardassians and all that kind of thing. Because one thing that I've always believed, I know we talk about this a lot in superhero ethics, and, and, and you and I have talked about this when we've, when we've been on each other's podcasts in the past as well. I, with a very limited exception of, of a character like the Joker or maybe Iago from Shakespeare's Othello, I don't like mustache twirling villains. You know, I, I'm a big believer that for a villain to be compelling, they have to believe that they are actually the hero of the story. Um, sure. You know, and that that makes what makes the most compelling. And, and as I think you said, you're right. What makes DS9 so powerful is that you do have a number of different groups. And from our point of view and our perspective, the humans seem perhaps the most sympathetic and the Majorans somewhat sympathetic and the Cardassians much less so and the Dominion even less so. But then when you imagine what is it like in the Dominion's standpoint and how badly they've been treated, okay, well, I might not agree with their methods, but I, I can sympathize. I can understand where they're coming from. Similarly, the Cardassians in terms of the kind of culture that they are raised in and that they are, are born into – I, I can look at that and say, I can understand how someone like Gul Dukat can fundamentally believe he is doing what he thinks is right, what he thinks is the right thing. Um, and that's what makes it, I think, a much more interesting show. And um, because we, we, we've now spent half an hour not talking about the Orville, which is my fault <laughs> as much as anyone else, I want to bring it back to that, tag the Orville cast. Um, but it's, it's I'm, I'm wondering, do you, do you see that in the Orville as well? Like, do you think we're getting those kind of antagonists maybe instead of villains but but who are convinced that they're the hero from their own in their own mind i do maybe not with the depth of ds9 and 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 i do think that they have it built in that as of now uh our our main crew has pretty much agreed like they've been pretty much in agreement but i think that we've gotten more from the krill than we 
ever got from a lot of Star Trek races that might have, you know, you, you, you have a race that has a religion that thinks they're superior. Right. How many times did we actually like get to go in and learn about that religion a little bit? They had a whole episode where they explored a krill ship. Yeah. And, 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 and they've gone on to do that and they're building those characters. I feel like in Star Trek, at least in the olden days, they would have had one episode where there's a race who wants to kill you because their religion tells them they're superior. They would have defeated that race and moved on. Um, and, and this, we're, we're getting a constant exploration of the krill. And now the krill, uh, well, I guess spoiler alert. I, I know we're discussing the Orville, but the, <laughs> the, they're, they're making the krill. They're having negotiations and they're having discussions and they're trying to make peace with the krill. Uh, and, and, and at various points in the show and they're at war with them. And it, it just, I just think that that is way more interesting than just they're kind of the bad guys. And I don't, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not accusing Star Trek of that. I think Star Trek for the most part does a good job. Um, but I think that Orville, Orville is also doing that work. It is not just even, even, even characters that even races that have seemed pretty, um, mustache twirly. They mm-hmm. still are the heroes of their own story. Well, and, and one thing that I really appreciate, and I, as I'm, um, as we're talking, I'm thinking about this even more, is that you know you you mentioned the beginning the humor of the Orville, and I and I, I agree with you, and I as I said, I'm not a big fan of the McFarland humor, and I'm impressed how much of the show has moved away from it. I also though think that there's some extent to which, in a really brilliant way, the show has managed to use that kind of humor as a way to sort of have the audience point of view be the character point of view when they want to show that the characters can be wrong. Um, and, and what I mean by that is, and I think the the best example is that episode you mentioned uh, from season one in which a couple of our heroes um, wind up going onto a Krill ship, infiltrating a Krill ship, and, and wind up, you know, the first couple, the first part of the episode is a lot of them making fun of the Krill and and the audience supposed to be being in on the joke. And yes, the name of the Krill God is Avis, and mm-hmm. so they constantly reference that it sounds like a car rental company. Um they've never mm-hmm. quite explained why everybody in the Orville universe is utterly obsessed with late twentieth, early twenty first century pop culture. Um but that's the references yeah. they're always making. But but even putting that aside, so okay, so we're laughing at their religion, we're laughing at their God. But then at some point you realize that the characters are wrong, like not just that they're wrong because they're being bad morally or ethically, but but that actually they are significantly misjudging and misunderstanding this religion because they're just poking fun at it and that they actually have to take it seriously and take these people seriously as having their own legitimate point of view, even if it's a very different one or one that we find really problematic. And in the same way, it kind of forces the audience to do the same thing, to say – Wait a minute, like even though this god has a name we think is funny or even though they are um what we would by our definition be religious fanatics and and I think that's very accurate. They are religious fanatics. Yeah. But but that from their own in the same way that you can't, you know, in today's world, we can't just say, "Oh, you know, um that group there that they're they're religious fanatics, so we have to write them off entirely." There's a reason why people believe those things. There's a reason why religion has that power. And you have to understand that. You have to take that seriously and not make them cartoon villains in order to understand that in the real world and deal with it. Um, and I think Orwell did the exact same thing about saying, yes, this religion seems ridiculous to the eyes of the cast of the, of the crew of the Orville, but if they want to connect with it, they have to take it seriously. 
They have to recognize it. They have to realize that from those people's perspective, this is real and this is believable and this shapes their moral worldview. And I just thought that was such a brilliant way of kind of like making the audience go through what the characters go through. I totally agree. And the episode ends, spoiler alert, with them realizing there is a a group of children on board uh, learning the ways of Avis, you know, and that, yeah. and that puts them in the perspective, oh, there are innocents. The, every, every Krill used to be a child that was indoctrinated into this thing that they were told that they were superior and they needed to kill everyone else. So how, how can you judge them? And, and, and how we can't just destroy the ship because at some point they're wanting to destroy the ship and they find out there's children on that ship. You know, they, they, right. it's, it's just a great way of humanizing the villain. Jumping into a completely different part of my geekdom, um, but when I saw that episode, and especially the, the moment with the kids, um, I'm a huge musical theater geek as well. And um, the song that came to mind uh, when I saw that scene was You Have to Be Carefully Taught from South Pacific. Um, which for anyone who hasn't seen it, I mean, it's a fantastic musical. It's all about racism. And, and, but this song is about how children aren't just naturally, you know, they, the children have to be taught to fear those who are different and to think that different things matter. Um, and it, 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 it just, it, it was such a powerful connection to me because you're seeing how these krill children are, they're both children and they're innocents and we shouldn't blow them up, but also they're being taught to hate and to fear and to believe in this God. But just as much as the humans have been taught to hate the krill and to fear the krill. Um, and so, yeah, that, that, that whole moment just I thought was such a powerful one in the show. And, and, and yeah, to me, that, that's the kind of thing I'm looking forward to the show exploring because that's, I think, what makes Orville so good. Yeah, me too, man. Me too. I, I really, really enjoy the show. And, you know, and, and another thing that I really like about it is the world building. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, as I mentioned, my two other podcasts, Star Trek and Marvel, and Marvel Cinematic Universe, they're both shows that have built sweeping universes over many years of storytelling. And the reason the Orville really lights me up is it, from the beginning, with the Krill and the Kalon and the Mocklins, like it, none of these, none of these characters are one-offs. Um, they don't, they don't leave their toys in the toy box. Like they're, they're, they're in a part of space. They're dealing with the same sorts of people all the time. And I just love that they're, uh, building on that. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how much we want to talk about exactly. I don't know how much people that are listening to this have, are caught up or whatnot, but, um, one, one of the coolest things I found was in, have you, are you, are you completely caught up by the way? Yep. I'm, I'm fully yeah, caught up. So this is the la- uh, one of the last episodes of season two, actually, it might be the last episode. Uh, but they have a, a sort of fun, quirky relationship episode where an alternate reality Kelly comes from the past. And that's a super fun episode. And it's all about relationships. There's no, there's no universe stakes. It's just relationships. But then at the end, instead of letting that drop, they allow it to cause a divergent timeline. <laughs> Uh, or well, I guess uh, a different timeline, back to the right. future style, uh, and and like then they have a whole episode that happens in an alternate timeline where the Orville never existed in its form, and and it's so good. I I I was blown away by the uh, world building, just the the simple like this little thing happened relationally, and now it's going to cause these ripples, and we're going to yeah. have a, we're going to spend a whole episode on it, you know, and that that's that's so cool to me that they're not they're not making you know episodic television. There, it's really a serialized 
comedy science fiction adventure. Like that is so cool. Yeah, I I agree with you, and I I I would say for me one of my favorite dynamics, and you're gonna have to keep poking me about spoilers because I, I I'm so awful about that kind of thing. But I will. I, I hope everyone who is listening to this, um, either. Uh, either you've seen the Orville already and you're excited about it, but maybe you haven't. Maybe this is going to be what uh, convinces you to go watch the Orville. And so we spoiled a few things already, and I apologize, and I'm going to try not to do, be, have too many spoilers. But, but even being kind of vague, I can mention this. One of the things that I also really love about the show is the way that the relationship between the characters is constantly evolving and growing in subtle ways. Uh, sometimes what you'll see on a show is two characters interact in a specific way. And then they have a very special after-school episode where these two characters face some major thing together, and then after that, their relationship is completely different. And Orville doesn't do that. Instead, Orville has, as characters go through experiences together, their relationships shift and change, but in much more subtle ways, and sometimes you don't get a callback to it until many episodes later. Um, and I, I think the best example of this is, is we've mentioned that the, the Mocklins, which are one of the alien races on the ship, um, they come from a world that has a, that is one gender. They are an entirely male species. At least that, that, that's what we're told at the beginning. And there is a couple, a male, male couple, a uh, husband and husband who are on the ship and they go through some pretty big issues around gender and around their child. And, but it's not like they go through the issue and then, the relationship ends. Instead, their relationship continues, and then seven, ten episodes later, a different conflict in the relationship comes up, but it becomes clear that what happened before hasn't gone away and still has left some scars. And then half a year later, the relationship is going through a new kind of dimension, but 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 it's clear that what they're going through is continuing to be affected by all the things that have happened up to that point. And I remember just being so blown away by that kind of – it's almost kind of a, a much smaller kind of world building because it's one particular relationship. But it is still such a continuity of writing that you almost never see and that I remember being really impressed by. And I I think, as you said, that's something we get you know, sort of on the, the grand level with these different races and, and cultures, but also with all these different individual characters. Absolutely. In, in many ways – uh, you know, this show is sort of, is, uh, you, you would call it a Star Trek parody, but it's not a Star Trek parody. It, it, it in many ways is more real than a show like Star Trek because of the way the characters have subtly evolved. And, and I mean, I'm, of course, it's, it's partially due to the time that this is being made. Um, mm-hmm. discovery, uh, of Star Trek is, is, is a lot more nuanced in those same ways. But I mean, yeah. you, you look at something like, Next generation and those characters, a lot of them started one way and ended the same way. You know, they don't, they don't evolve. Right. And it's because it was a different time and the production people were telling them, no, this is someone's first episode. It has to, everything has to make complete sense to someone joining in for the first time. We, we want episodic television. And, um, I think shows like this work so much better when they're given a chance to evolve like this is. And, and in a lot of ways, I mean, I don't, I don't even think that that's a fault of next generation as much as just that's a change in our technology. You know, when, Absolutely. when, when next generation was airing, unless you were a dedicated enough fan that you were buying 50 VHS tapes and taping every single episode, you were probably missing a lot. And so it was, you know, you needed to be able to say, well, even though I missed last week, I want to know what's going on. Today, it's so much easier 
to make episodic television like this. And I think Orville's really taking advantage of it. Absolutely. You, you, you talk about VHS tapes. I have to say, I have to give a shout out to Dave from the Star Trek Universe podcast. Um, he is exactly that guy. He has, he pro- <laughs> I think he still owns them. He has every episode of Star Trek taped off of television on VHSs in a closet where like, you open the closet and it's just VHS tapes wall to wall. It's so funny because now it's available everywhere. You don't need that anymore. But yeah. he spent years compiling. Oh, that's amazing. W- w- tracking like, oh, this episode I missed from original series. He's like following it in TV guides <laughs> to like track down which episode's going to air when so he can make sure he catches it. It's so, so funny. Uh, it's just such a different world now. And, and that was such a commitment on his part. I mean, I never did that, but I had friends who did, and I'm, um, I've, I had some, uh, fairly major surgery, uh, about 20 years ago, um, and I was recovering for a number of months in my house, and it, literally I had a friend who came with two big shopping bags of all the VHS tapes of Babylon 5 to drop it off, um, and then did that with Vo- Star Trek Voyager. Um, and I will say, awesome. Star Trek Voyager, when watched through large amounts of codeine and other painkillers, <laughs> is actually a very good show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think that, that- the painkillers are a requirement in my mind. Yeah, that's um, a whole other topic for us. But um, but yeah, and, and, and just in terms of what you said also about uh, it being a parody, um, in a lot of ways, what it feels like more to me than anything else is fan fiction. Like, it feels like yeah. this is Seth MacFarlane coming as – this is basically Seth MacFarlane saying, I want to write a Star Trek show. If I write a Star Trek show, I will get sued to oblivion. So this is the closest I can come to writing a Star Trek show without having a lawsuit. Yeah. Um, and I think he's, it, it, it's – in many ways, um, as a Star Trek fan, I'm guessing you're, you, you've seen the movie Galaxy Quest? Oh, yeah. For sure. This has a very similar tone to Galaxy Quest. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I was thinking actually – I don't know if you – I would love it if you and Dave ever did an episode on Galaxy Quest because Galaxy Quest to me is so much an homage to Star Trek and to Star Trek fans. Yeah. Um, and I think of Orville in very much the same way. Like – it is in some ways kind of making fun of Star Trek, but it's it's done from that position of love, you know, of fellow fans instead of from a position of like the outsider mocking it. Yeah, absolutely. And what I'm also constantly impressed with the Orville doing is it takes an episode and I see the easy solution that often Star Trek would go with like um I'm seeing them work, and, I, and in Star Trek, they would have just convinced whatever they needed to happen to happen. Like, uh, I'm trying to remember, a couple episodes ago, they were working on a big treaty. Yeah. And instead of, a lot, they, they ended up coming up with an actual compromise that the good guys weren't completely happy with, but neither were the bad guys or whatever. And, and see, I say good guys and bad guys, but our protagonists were not completely happy with the compromise that was made but it was it was the best thing for them to do in the moment because they can't just force other people to do what they want and 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 that's something that Star Trek rarely does. Normally, the good guys win by the end of the episode. The good guys get what they want. It's very rare uh, that you have to have an actual compromise with other people. And I think that that was a really powerful episode to me. And I think a lot of episodes end not the way you want them to end. The way you see, like, oh, this this is obviously what needs to happen. This is yeah. the right moral or ethical choice or whatever. The, our characters are right. They should win. Often they just don't win. Yeah, I, I I love that. I I just really love that it's more complicated than just winning and losing. And I, and I think that a that is good for storytelling, 
But it's especially good for um, what we've been talking about in terms of the, the ethical questions that it raises. Because um, my, in ter- when I think of ethics, and I, um, you mentioned this briefly, and it's not something we're going too much, but I also have a religious background. I'm actually a, a former pastor uh, of a very liberal denomination, uh, and 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 the way I was sort of, you know, taught, and and what I've always believed is that. If, if something is attempting to help you think about ethics, whether it's religion or, you know, books or philosophy or, or, or a good TV show or anything, the way to do that is to raise difficult questions and give you hard questions to think about without giving you answers, you know? Um, you know, I know you have talked about on the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast about how, and, I, and, I, and I've, I've, I've had these same conversations that the shows you, like Civil War is so good because you can walk away with one person being Team Tony and someone else being Team Cap. And, and it's not clear what the audience, what the writers think, that it's, it's left as an open-ended question. And in the same way, one of my absolute favorite things about Orville is how many times it does that because it's not clear who wins. And you do walk away thinking – Okay, the, the, the ship did something that was in theory morally wrong, but maybe the, the captain was right to try and do it this way. But it's not clear. Did he do the right thing? Were, you know, um, going back to that episode we talked about before, um, when the, the, the Krill children were left alive. I think by any ethical standard, of course, you don't kill the children. On the other hand, if I remember the details of that episode correctly, by not blowing up that ship, they wound up causing a situation where a lot more people might wind up ha- ha- having died. And, and by the end of, I think, season two, one of the people that he let live also comes back to fight him again. Um, yeah. And, like, literally, that's just the comeuppance of doing the right thing, you know, punishing him in the future. And I... I think it's 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 complex it's 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 that classic daredevil punisher argument as well you know when i put them down they stay down punisher yeah. tells daredevil when they decide not to use violence not to murder their enemies they are opening themselves up to further uh, you know bad things in the future I do think it's important for anyone who has come to this podcast from the Superhero Ethics Podcast, please note the first mention of Daredevil or the Netflix MCU was not by myself. That's right. Um, it's me. Matt, Matt Carroll broke that seal, so I'm now allowed to say it, but I didn't do it. Um, <laughs> it might be a fairly frequent topic on the, on the Superhero Ethics Podcast. Yes, I, I listened to you guys Punisher cast last week. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, and and yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, cool. I, Punisher Season 2... Uh, I enjoyed it in many ways, but it is an <laughs> ethical mess. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so from you guys' perspective, I completely understood. Uh, <laughs> there were things I really liked about it. I really enjoyed. <laughs> this is gonna be great because we're at the end of the day going to be encouraging our, our listeners to listen to all these podcasts because right. we're gonna keep referencing all of them all the time. Um, but but in some ways, it is something I I. I think we are in, I, I'm not the first to say this by any means, but I absolutely think we are in a golden age of geekdom and a golden age of fandom. And part of it's because we're having these similar kind of questions being explored. You can say like, oh, let's talk about vengeance. Okay. Well, how did the Netflix universe talk about vengeance? How did DC talk about vengeance? How did Orville talk about vengeance? How did Star Trek talk about vengeance? Like these same, the, the topics that are just kind of endemic to humanity. And are at the core of things we're always wrestling with. All these different shows are approaching them in such different ways and from such different angles. It, it, it just makes the, uh, someone like me who just loves getting to have these conversations and loves seeing them explored in totally different ways. 
like I said, I think this is a golden age, and I'm so happy that Orville, I, I think, is a really important part of that. Absolutely. Totally with you. We, we've gone on a good good while, and I know we want to uh, kind of start moving towards wrapping up. Do you want to talk a little bit about kind of what we have in mind for this podcast going forward and what listeners can, can expect expect to see from us? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we, we're, we're really looking forward to kind of reviewing, you know, as we've been doing, we'll probably be discussing sort of the entirety of seasons one and two together. And I'm hopeful that we'll be, we'll be able to do an, at least an episode review of every episode before season three begins. So that's kind of the next few months of the show probably, but we also have plans to do some themes uh, and talk about sort of different, uh, maybe overarching storylines have episodes where we discuss different overarching storylines and themes within the show. Um, And so a lot of, a lot of, a lot of cool stuff to come. Yeah, for sure. I think it's going to be a good balance. And I think for those, um, either for folks who haven't seen the show before and want to watch it, um, you know, we're going to kind of give you like kind of like that episode guide where it's like, all right, you've just watched episode six. Now listen to our podcast on episode six where we talk about both, you know, the, the cool things that happened, the things that we didn't love and the, um, the, the questions that were raised. But also, as you said, that, that there are some really interesting issues that are brought up that, that don't just tie into one episode that are over the entire show. And where I think we can really we can really talk about it, um, both where we we can talk about how we think the show did it well, um, and you know, be honest. I, and, and Matt, I don't, I don't know if you feel the same, but I know there's, there's a couple of things, um, especially in some of the things around um, uh, relations between men and women. Um, but a couple other areas where I do think the show has has faltered some and could be doing a lot better. And so I'm sure we'll be somewhat critical as well. This isn't just a, a love song to Orville, but it's it's two people talking about the show how because they love it so much and just want to talk about everything and including some parts that maybe weren't the best. Sure, sure, sure. And I definitely know some of the things you're mentioning uh, from uh, from listening to you guys talk on uh, yep. superhero ethics. Uh, cool. But uh, yes, we, we'll, we'll, we'll be critical when we want to be critical. We're not uh, – we are a fan podcast, but we're not a – We're not getting our check from Seth MacFarlane yet, so we still have some artistic freedom. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Um, but Seth, and- if you're if you're out there and you want to write us a check, well, we, we we are we are viable. Um, I, at least I am. I don't know. You have, you probably I, have some ethical issues with it. I am a man of integrity, but my integrity does have a price tag, so that's just fine too. <laughs> doesn't everyone's? Um, doesn't everyone's? And that's that's some of the probably some of the ethical questions we'll explore. Yeah. Well, and and it's it's because I and I it is a part of what I wonder. When we were talking about that level of humor, I mean, to make it real for a second, it is something I, I, I wonder about, and no one of us know, but I, I have some theories about to what extent, you know, to what extent is the humor kind of driven by because it's still what's, what McFarland loves, or what is it, it's what the producers wanted at the start, you know, as, as you said, the show's kind of found its footing. With a yeah. lot of these shows, I know sometimes it's, you know, the first couple of years, the producers saying, we're going to tell you where the show is going to be if you want the money from us. And then once the show gets established, it kind of changes. So right, and and I think it already has. And I mean, even even upon like the second episode, I think the first episode, like I said, joke, 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 joke. By the second episode, there it's there's still a lot of jokes, but they're tackling serious things. And I actually love that. I really love the humor on the show. Some people find it um, too juvenile or whatever, but I think that it is just extra entertainment for me. Like be, since they're taking the issues seriously, and yep. Very rarely, on a rare occasion, I find this the the humor kind of subverts the overall drive of the show. Uh, but most of the time, the humor just exists alongside whatever else they're trying to do or talk about. 
for me, when I think of the humor of the show, I think it, it, it kind of hits there, – there were two things that I was concerned about. One is that some of that sophomore humor, I just – it's just not my taste. It's not what I find very funny. Um, and the other is that there, there's some of those kind of humors that I think, um, you know, when it's about kind of like gender stuff or, or, or um, you know, things like that, it, it, it's, it's not really stuff that I'm comfortable with. And I, and I was worried, I have to admit, when the show started that there was going to be a lot more of that. I have found for the most part that there's much more of the first and the second. There's very, very rarely the kind of humor where I think, ah, this is, this is offensive to me in some way or, or something like that. Um, it's much more, it, the first couple episodes, I think I was not as into the humor as you were, but I didn't find it quite as distracting and I certainly found it a lot less so as the show has gone on. And, and to me, the example that I often use as, as the place where I feel like, there was some low-hanging fruit that they absolutely could have gone to, and they didn't. And not to be too spoilery, but there's there's a situation that happens with a character on the um, an alien comes onto the ship, and the alien is just putting off huge amounts of pheromones, and and chemically, everyone else on the ship wants to sleep with this alien, and the alien's male, and one of the people who finds themselves wanting to sleep with this alien is also male, one of the main characters, and the the two of them do sleep together, and it, it, it's done in a way that really compromises a lot of the other things that our, our main character is supposed to care about. And so all of his friends do give him a lot of grief about it, both some of them concerned, some of them teasing him about it, about like, oh my god, I can't believe you slept with that guy. But the one thing that no one ever mentions is that he slept with another man. Like that, and I just, I think of the kind of humor I was concerned about the show having, there would have just been so many low-hanging fruit gay jokes that could have been made, none of which were made. And I remember watching that being really impressed and really thinking, okay, there is a level of humor that you are clearly choosing not to go to. And that makes me feel so much better about all the rest of the humor that's happening. Because it tells me, like, there's a, there, there's a line that you know is there that you're not going to cross. Uh, you mentioned uh, you being from a religious background. You were a pa- you were a pastor in a very liberal denomination. I actually, mm-hmm. I, my religious background is from a very conservative denomination, and it was my father that was the pastor. So I'm the mm. son of a preacher man who was in a, a very conservative <laughs> denomination. He was not a hateful man by any means. A lot of times, yeah. these day, it's really hard to talk about. Uh, politics and religion right now um yep particularly the the word conservative it's been used for things that i don't in any way uh, agree with um but he so so he was not a hateful man and and, and i don't i never really had hateful um hateful uh, you know desires or whatever or, or, or like motivations in my own religious upbringing but uh-huh. so so in my upbringing i don't know uh, even though even though we ne- there was never a real hate in my household there's there there was a lot more of that kind of humor wasn't really looked down on i guess like not right. not so much uh uh bothersome but for me it's just about like what's funny and what's just sort of punching down yeah. what's what's making fun of a character for for being who they are or whatever and what's actually funny. And so far, I think for the most part, this show does a good job of walking that line and being fairly caring toward all the characters, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I, I think caring is a really good way to say it. As you said, it's not punching down. It's yes. to me there. Cause I think that there's a, there's a big difference to my mind between sophomore humor and bullying humor, you know? And like, you know, in Star Trek, it would be easy to believe that no character ever goes to the bathroom ever. And that's not the most realistic thing. 
in the Orville, we learn maybe a little bit too much that I would like to know about <laughs> right. the character's bathroom habits, and it's made fun of. And like, okay, that's not my favorite kind of humor, but to me, that's very different than you know um, jokes that are about insulting other people. And right. and and I think that that's I think that's as you said a really well well done way to do it. There's also the idea that not all characters have to be perfect. And I yeah. think for the most part, they've at this point in the Orville evolved past any sort of um, criticism of people's sexuality. Uh, but they they still will sometimes make like like I think of Malloy, for instance, the character of Malloy. Mm-hmm. He just does things sometimes that are a little closer to the line of offensiveness. Right, and that's just his character, and the other characters give him grief for it. Yeah, uh, which is just very it feels very realistic to me. Um, I can absolutely see Malloy saying something a little more homophobic that the other character was like, "Dude, you know, like I don't they have I don't think they've done that. I don't think he has done that, but I could see that just because they've set up the characters in a way that some of them have their flaws." Right. And they're they're they can kind of make those jokes from a perspective of that joke wasn't okay. You know what I mean? Like they're almost making fun of the person making the joke. Yeah. And I think there's, there's, there is a, there's obviously like dancing on a razor wire lines there between like, right. What, what the actual joke is. And I actually love when characters are kind of being made fun of by their, they're being hoisted on their own petard. They're, they're making a joke, but if you're laughing at that joke, you're, the one that's getting the joke made on you. I don't know if, if that makes sense. Like it, it does. And as you said, I think it's a razor wire because I think it's the kind of thing that can be, on the one hand, it can be very well done as a way of kind of like making the audience uncomfortable for something it just laughed at. And, and, and it kind of like, but, but I also think it can sometimes be kind of manipulative from the writers of where it's saying, you know what? We're going to, we're going to tell you a homophobic joke or a racist joke and let you laugh at it. But then make you feel better about yourself because our next character will say that's a bad joke. And, and I, so I think it can be done in either really good or really bad ways. And I, but I think for the most part, you're right. Orville doesn't, um, Orville stays on the good side of that or just doesn't do it at all. Right. And like you said, in, in that kind of situation, I, I was expecting a character like Malloy or someone like that to make the, oh my God, I can't believe you did it with a dude kind of a joke or the kind of gay panic kind of jokes. And, I think I would have been somewhat disappointed with the show if it had done that. I, I think you're right. It would have made sense for that character and it would have been evil or wrong for the character. But I just feel like, you know, when we have so much of that humor already on television and so much of that humor is, at least as I understand it, can be really harmful to have the show seem to say, look, whatever else, we're just, we're going to assume that these characters live in a world where this character sleeping with this other character makes no sense whatsoever. But the fact that it was two dudes is is one of the things that do, no one thinks is at all weird. Yeah, I like I like I like that a lot too. Yeah. Speaking of that kind of use of humor in uh-huh. something, there's a uh, there, there's a great line in Star Trek Six where McCoy and Kirk land in a on a Klingon some sort of Klingon planet and they're and they're going into like a, a Klingon situation and uh-huh. McCoy leans over to Kirk and says, "I hear only the top of the line models can talk." And it is such a racist joke, such a racist joke. And on a first viewing, as a human watching these characters that have always been represented as the antagonists in Star Trek, Uh you could find yourself laughing at that joke. But then by the end of the movie, the whole point is that these characters get over that and try to make peace with them. And I, 
I just love I love that because even in the even though in the moment they don't call it out, upon a rewatch of that movie, you're like, ooh, maybe maybe I maybe you're examining your own like predispositions to laugh at something. Like I I, th- I think that's yeah. kind of a cool way to do humor sometimes. Make a make a character that. But yes, no, I, I agree with you though. I like how the Orville is doing it as well. Um, especially with like you said the gay panic stuff. It, mm-hmm. I just don't see that it would be an issue for that this century. This, yeah, exactly. this is happening in. It just shouldn't. Uh, it shouldn't. It's not much of an issue now for most uh, most people. Um, and I highly doubt in a couple hundred years that it will be an issue. I hope so. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm afraid. I think it's it's still more of an issue than I'd like to think for a lot of people today. But I, I think oh, definitely yeah. we're moving we're moving that direction. I don't mean to trivialize. Uh, I just think that it's a uh, it's a, it's it's now a minor, minority of people that are having yeah. an issue with it, as opposed to you know, I mean, we're talking twenty or thirty years ago. It was very much a majority. You know, oh for sure, for absolutely sure. The, the society has moved very quickly in that direction, and. Uh, I think that if it continues to move in that direction, it won't be an issue for long. Yeah, that's that's the hope, certainly. Um, I, I want to kind of always just say kind of just kind of uh, segueing to 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 where we're coming from with the show, because also we want to be wrapping up. Um, we talked about uh, how how uh, Matt and I have, um, and I, we want to be talking about each individual episode. We want to be talking about um, specific themes. Um, but I, I I certainly believe, and Matt, from everything I've heard you do with your podcasts, I'm sure you're on the same page. I'm hoping this is a conversation, not just between the two of us, but between the two of us and all of you guys who are listening, all of you folks who are listening. Yeah. Um, and so we're going to be setting up, um, and I guess we should figure out exactly how we're doing it. And then we'll, we'll put that in the show notes, but, but ways for you all to, to, to let us know, um, you know, what are you thinking about? What, first of all, the episodes we do put out, what do you agree with? What do you disagree with? Send us feedback. We'll definitely be doing feedback episodes, but also, what are the issues that you'd love to talk about? What was one of your favorite questions that you you really think you'd love to hear us do a podcast on or, or something like that? What are um what are some of the overarching topics that you think would be really great to touch on? I know um uh, obviously we have some 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 clear directions we need to go to, especially if we we have all of the episodes covered by the time we get to the the new season starting next year. But I think we're definitely going to have a lot of room to hear what are the things that 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 you all are super excited about and would like to see us 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 make sure we cover. Yeah, for sure. Whether it's just a small question about something or, you know, like you said, something you'd really like us to cover more extensively in like a in a conversation topic for a whole episode, we might we might be able to do that. And we might just be able to do some feedback episodes where we read you get what you guys have to say and we talk about each individual question. It, I, I love that kind of stuff. It really it honestly makes this whole thing so worth it to have people. Uh, right in and and it, it mean part of it is just it, when you're doing this podcasting thing sometimes it feels like you're just speaking into a void um, yeah. and when people are giving feedback it, it it just me it's very meaningful to us as podcasters to get that feedback and not to mention it makes the conversation and the shows more rich because right the, the the crowdsourcing the intelligence of the show uh, a lot of times especially over on the MCU cast we've gotten feedback that's like we never would have thought of that good job <laughs> that's wonderful and, and proof that this works I mean Matt you and I had never met uh, we've still never met in person but we've only done this because I was one of those people who kept sending in feedback to the Marvel Cinematic Universe feedback oh, yeah. um, uh, podcast so folks if you want to be on a podcast with one of us start spamming us with feedback and maybe eventually <laughs> one of us will invite you to a podcast because you know it, it is because but it's it, it i think it makes sense because it's 
I was sending the feedback, you guys responding, it started another conversation and, and it's now influenced both of the podcasts we do. Um, and, and I'd, I'd love to hear that from more listeners. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, so, yeah, this has been a great first episode. Thanks for, uh, thanks for doing this with me, Matthew. Uh, I'm excited to do more of it. My pleasure. Looking forward to seeing what comes next. Uh, you can find us at, we, where, where can they find you, Matthew? So, um, you can find me, the, um, the Superhero Ethics Podcast is just just exactly that. It's search for Superhero Ethics Podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, on most of those. You can also find the website itself is SuperheroEthics.com. Um, we have both a Facebook page and a Facebook group <clears throat> under that name, Superhero Ethics. Post in there is a great way to reach us. Um, we... Um, and you can also find the superhero ethics at Twitter. Um, and also you can find me directly at, um, caped ethicist, uh, 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 also our superhero ethicist on Twitter and all that will be in the show notes. Uh, what about you, Matt? How can they find more about you? Uh, well, really the best thing you can do is just the, the podcast app. You're listening to this right now. Search for the Marvel cinematic universe podcast or the star Trek universe podcast. And if you're interested, I also make music, uh, Matthew Carroll's with my name. Uh, you can find me on Spotify, Apple, Google, uh, all those places. Matthew Carroll, the album's called left to burn. I'm really, really proud of it. And so it is a great album. Definitely check it out. Thanks man. Thank you. Uh, so check that out and, uh, we'll probably have social media and stuff for this by next time we record. (laughs) We probably Sounds should have good. set that up first. Sorry. But yeah, <laughs> so maybe search for the Orville Universe podcast on your various things because it'll probably be there. <laughs> we'll get it going. All right, guys. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Orville Universe podcast. If you'd like to hear more from Matthew Westfox, search your podcatcher now for the Superhero Ethics podcast. If you'd like to hear more from me, Matthew Carroll, search your podcatcher for the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast and the Star Trek Universe podcast. Or you can check out my music. Just search for Matthew Carroll wherever you listen to music.